Whatever might have been gray and unclear before is certainly quite clear right now. We're not supposed to use government power and prestige for political gain. And that's coming from a House Republican? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up on in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, we're going to be talking about your former governor in a second. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast as much as you or I might like to. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you very much for joining us today. Coming up, I'm sure you have uh, seen those two mooks who were arrested by federal officials in New York last week as associates of Rudy Giuliani. Those two Soviet-born Ukrainian-Americans who were nabbed at JFK with one-way tickets to Vienna, who were indicted by federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York on campaign finance charges, having given hundreds of thousands of dollars in straw man donations, using a phony company to launder the true source of the funds to Donald Trump's super PAC in exchange for becoming political players, smack dab in the middle of this Ukraine fiasco and now impeachment inquiry. I'm sure you have uh, heard about them by now. At least I hope you have. Well, those two super geniuses who already uh, were under federal investigation as long ago as July of 2018, They were being looked at by federal prosecutors for, uh, what, a year and a half at this point. And we didn't know it, but some people did, including the nonpartisan nonprofit watchdog group Campaign Legal Center. They noticed their questionable donations to Trump's super PAC using an apparently fake corporation with funding that nobody has still been able to account for. Well, we'll be joined momentarily by Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center, who filed this complaint against these guys that kicked off this eventual indictment. We'll talk with Brendan about that complaint, which resulted in the indictment, along with the continuing investigation by the Southern District of New York, 
That's the office of uh, the DOJ that Rudy Giuliani used to lead as U.S. attorney in the Southern District. And Rudy Giuliani himself is thought to potentially be under investigation in this same probe. But more than that, more than what these two guys, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, actually did with Giuliani and Trump and a Texas congressman in this Ukraine affair. I'm actually interested in what the entire thing tells us about our nightmarish campaign finance system. Since this is really the nightmare scenario, well, for a number of things, including foreign influence on our political system and U.S. foreign policy, and frankly, just rich guys' influence on our political system and uh, both domestic and foreign policy. This, to me, is a much larger issue than just what the effects are on uh, Donald Trump and his impeachment and Rudy Giuliani. Because even if that's once taken care of, we're still going to have this system in place that allows these yutzes like Parnas and Fruman to be able to actually affect U.S. policy. Anyway, we're going to get to that in a second. First, you got to give credit to Fox News here. When they go to bat for their party, man, they are good at it. Uh, Laura Ingram called George W. Bush era torture memo author John Yoo. The guy who actually came up with a secret legal justification for the Bush administration to carry out torture of prisoners, which, by the way, despite his phony justification, torture is totally banned by international treaties and by American law. And nobody, by the way, was ever held accountable for that war crime in the Bush administration that John Yoo helped pull off. Well, that guy, John Yoo, was invited on as a guest to Laura Ingram's show to offer a very novel defense against the impeachment of Donald Trump, at least as novel as his legal explanation that torture was not actually torture. Here's what John, you said. Well, I'm glad they're reading the Constitution and citing the framers for once, but they've got it exactly backwards. What the framers thought was that the American people would judge a president at the time of the election. They would never have wanted impeachment within a year of an election. It's up to the American people. If the American people think Trump has done wrong, they don't have to return to office. If they don't think this was important, they'll reelect him. So, so you got that, Desi Doyen? It's I'm sorry. It was the American people would never want an impeachment within a year of an election. The framers did not want an impeachment. They put That's it in right. the Constitution, but that they just forgot to put that part. They forgot where to it write sh- it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knows. He knows. So, uh, yeah. So what we have here is the framers did not want any apparently new Supreme Court justices within a year of an election, according to Mitch McConnell and the Republicans back in 2016 even though the framers forgot to write that into the Constitution. And now, also, too, the framers do not want to impeach anybody within that same year before a presidential election. I guess in this case, actually 13 months of a presidential election. Now, I am no constitutional expert, but I will be damned if I can find either of those two provisions in my copy of the Constitution. These folks who love the founding fathers who pretend to love the founding fathers sure do know a lot about what they must have been thinking, even though they didn't seem to write this stuff down. But anyway, well, uh, I'm sure that, you yeah. know, he'll have exactly the same opinion if it had been a Democratic president. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Told, not not within a year. Uh, impeach Barack Obama. No, we've got an election in a year. Sure. Yeah. 
Anyway, in the meantime, you would barely know it from the reaction of congressional Republicans, at least as of Friday morning, according to TPM's Matt Schum, that White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney had publicly confirmed a central question of House Democrats' impeachment inquiry on national television. Mulvaney said in a press conference on Thursday that the White House had indeed withheld military funds appropriated by Congress for Ukraine due to Donald Trump's insistence that Ukraine investigate a conspiracy theory about Democrats and the 2016 election. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Mulvaney's admissions a, uh, quote, confession and said it's an example of the administration trying to make, quote, lawlessness normal and even make lawlessness a virtue. Here's the key part of Mulvaney's idiotic admission in question uh, from the White House press room on Thursday. Did he also mention to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about that. Um, but that's it. And that's why we held up the money. Now, there was a report. So, 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 so the demand for an investigation into the Democrats was part of the reason that he it was on to withhold funding to Ukraine. The, the look back to what happened in 2016 certainly was, was part of the thing that he was worried about in corruption with that nation. And that is absolutely appropriate. the funding. Yeah, which which ultimately then flowed. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we do we do that all the time with foreign policy. And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. Got that, Desi? Get over it. <laughs> There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. So that would seem to be a pretty clear admission of a quid pro quo that the president has been insisting over and over and over again did not happen until his uh, chief of staff admitted that it did. Now, later on Thursday night after that statement, Mulvaney was forced to essentially put out a statement saying he did not say what it seems pretty clear that he did say on videotape. But that admission, uh, walked back or otherwise, has been the source of a lot of questions to Republican officials ever since. The strongest Republican voice in reaction to Mulvaney, at least uh, in Congress as of this morning anyway, according to Shuham, was Senator Lisa Murkowski, a Republican from Alaska. At the Capitol, uh, Capitol, according to Alaska Public Media, a reporter asked Murkowski if Mulvaney's comments appearing to concede that the White House did, in fact, hold up aid to Ukraine until they agreed to investigate the 2016 election. She was asked if that concerned her. She said, yes, absolutely, it's a concern. You don't hold up foreign aid that we had previously appropriated for a political initiative, period. And that is from a Republican senator. Though she added she needed to study exactly what it was that Mick Mulvaney said. Meantime, uh, Congressman Francis Rooney of Florida, Republican of Florida, told CNN on Thursday that Mulvaney's comments acknowledging the White House had withheld aid were, quote, troubling. Rooney is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee who ran for Congress in 2016 as a Trump supporter advertising his support for Trump's border wall. In an interview on air on Friday, Rooney told CNN that Mulvaney had made the issue uh, pretty clear and said that he could not rule out supporting impeachment in the House. Whatever might have been gray and unclear before is certainly quite clear right now. 
that the actions were related to, uh, to, to getting some of the Ukraine to do some of these things. I think that, as you just put on there, Senator Murkowski admits said it perfectly. We're not supposed to use government power and prestige for political gain. In your eyes, Congressman, do you think that this rises to the level of impeachment? You just said it is very clear now that there was it's a very, quid pro quo, that defense money from Ukraine was withheld so that a politically motivated investigation could be promised? Is that impeachable? Uh, I don't know. I, I want to study it some more. I want to hear the next set of testimony next week from uh, uh, a couple more ambassadors. But it's certainly very, very serious and troubling. Well, uh, re respectfully, sir, what, what don't you know? I mean, if that, is, if that is what happened, which the White House just laid out, what is the unknown for you still on that front? Meaning what oh, more the only, do you the, want to uh, hear? Probably the only unknown would be if this is such of gravitas or whatever you want to say, so grave and serious that it rises to the level of impeachment. I mean, I don't think this is as much as Richard Nixon did, but I'm very mindful of the fact that back during Watergate, everybody said, oh, it's a witch hunt to get Nixon. Turns out it wasn't a witch hunt. It was absolutely correct. So I just want to make sure that I get all the data I can get. And I'm talking to everybody I can talk yep. to to understand all this. I think, I think that's fair, but it's clear to me you're saying at this point you are not ruling out the possibility that this is an impeachable offense for the president. I don't think you could rule anything out till you know all the facts. Okay. Every time one of these people testifies, we get more information about what was going on over there. Yes, we do. And kudos, by the way, to that CNN reporter. I don't know her name. Do you, do you know her name? Um, I think that's uh, Poppy Harlow, is I think that, is her name. I'm not sure if that's who it was. Anyway, she was very good pressing yes. him on that. Uh, earlier on Friday, Congressman Adam Kitzinger of Illinois also expressed alarm about Mulvaney's uh, remarks calling them quite concerning and that we're going to have to get more information as we're seeing this happen rapidly. Well, they certainly are. And I suspect uh, we're going to see a lot more comments from uh, congressional Republicans about that in the coming days. Meanwhile, former Ohio governor John Kasich said that Donald Trump should, in fact, be impeached. This is a major switch for a former Republican presidential candidate who had previously said there was not enough evidence to impeach the president. Kasich is a CNN uh, senior political commentator. He's a former Fox News host as well as a former member of Congress. He told CNN's Anna Cabrera on Friday that the, quote, final straw for him was Mulvaney's admission. This has been a very difficult 24 hours for me. Um, the issue of impeachment is really big to me. And um, when I heard what uh, Mulvaney said, the chief of staff of the president, it, it pushed, pushed me uh, really across the Rubicon. And I'll tell you why. Withholding military aid, vital military aid, to a nation like Ukraine, which has Russian troops inside its territory uh, that's threatened all the time, that withholding it so that a, a political uh, operation can take place, investigate this thing around the server, and we're going to withhold the aid until you do that. To me, it's, it's totally inappropriate. It's an abuse of power. Now, I know that there are presidents that will withhold aid because they have policy differences, but this is not a policy difference. And um, so my view is that, uh, look, I fought with people on the air about is there a quid pro quo and 
And does this rise to the level of impeachment? I now believe that it does. And okay. I say it with I say it with great sadness. This is not something I, I really wanted to do. I mean, I voted to impeach Bill Clinton, and that was really hard. And this has been excruciatingly hard. But I, this I kind you. of behavior, can, this behavior, in my opinion, cannot be tolerated, and action is going to have to be taken. Let me get some clarification from you, though. When you say you believe this behavior rises to the level of impeachment. Are you saying, yes, this president should be impeached based on what we know now? And does that also mean that you believe he should be tried in the Senate and removed from office? What, what, first of all, I want to see what the articles of, of impeachment are that the Democrats put together. And secondly, I don't like the way they've conducted this without having a vote on an impeachment inquiry. But if you're asking me if I was sitting in the House of Representatives today, and you were to ask me, how do I feel? Do I think impeachment should move forward and should go for a, a full examination and a trial in the United States Senate? My vote would be yes. My vote would be yes. Uh, Kasich went on to say uh, if Barack Obama had been doing something like this, Republicans would be going crazy. The uh, former Ohio governor urged Republicans to, quote, look at yourself and say, what do we expect out of the president? Are there some lines that simply cannot be crossed? He said it is very difficult for a Republican to come out and say anything like this because they're going to take they're going to get attacked at home. He said you got to be willing to take the heat, frankly. We'll see how many of them are willing to take the heat. This is getting harder and harder for them to explain, even with the help of Fox News, however they can come up with it. So we'll see. This is moving fast. All right, let's take a quick break, and we will come back with another angle on all of this, how the arrest of two Giuliani associates last week revealed yet again how shockingly broken and dangerous our existing campaign finance laws are. Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center, whose complaint helped lead to the lockup of these guys and maybe, just maybe, an indictment for Rudy Giuliani. We'll see. Brendan joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Sure is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. On Thursday, Donald Trump's ambassador to the European Union, a Trump donor by the name of Gordon Sondland, testified to House impeachment investigators for nearly 10 hours about his role in the widening scandal concerning Donald Trump's withholding of some $400 million in congressionally allocated military aid to Ukraine. 
in what appears to be an impeachable quid pro quo exchange, at least according to the president's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, before he tried to walk it back for uh, Ukraine's agreement to announce an investigation of supposed corruption by the Biden family in the country and a supposed Ukrainian connection to meddling on behalf of Democrats in the 2016 presidential election. It wasn't the Russians who meddled on behalf of Trump in that election. According to this theory, it was actually Russia's enemies in Ukraine who colluded with Democrats to somehow help Hillary Clinton. That, despite a lack of evidence to support either that char charge or that there was any corruption by Joe Biden or his son Hunter, who had been given a well-paid seat on a Ukrainian national gas company by the name of Burisma, while his father served as vice president. Both of those theories have been circulating for some time in right-wing media fever swamps. But a lack of evidence has never kept Donald Trump from believing and acting on anything that he believes may serve his political or financial interests. During his Thursday testimony in the impeachment probe, Trump's ambassador Sondland reportedly claimed that he and other diplomats were ordered by the president to work with Trump's personal attorney, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, in their dealings with Ukraine. Even as some of the career diplomats in the U.S. Foreign Service, whose job was to directly work with Ukraine, as they were sidelined while Giuliani appeared, according to The Washington Post, to be running his own shadow foreign policy within the Trump administration for some time. Giuliani's work in Ukraine, we have now come to learn, was aided by two guys that almost nobody had heard of until a week or so ago when they were dramatically arrested and charged by prosecutors out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York at JFK Airport while trying to flee the country with one-way tickets to Vienna. Those two men, as you have likely seen uh, their infamous mugshots by now, are Soviet-born Ukrainian-American citizens by the name of Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. The two, clients and or associates of Giuliani, were taken into federal custody for their alleged effort to funnel illegal campaign contributions to Republicans, including hundreds of thousands of dollars to Donald Trump's super PAC and to Texas Congressman Pete Sessions, who apparently attempted to intercede with the White House on the Ukrainian affair just after meeting with the two men after after the donations were made through a shell corporation to Donald Trump's PAC. That uh, shell corporation was allegedly created specifically to buy political influence. The influence effort scheme appears to have worked and worked well until it didn't. Parnas and Fruman got very high access and some of the favors that they had hoped to purchase, at least until those meddling kids at the good government watchdog group Campaign Legal Center noticed their curious contributions and reported the matter in a formal complaint to the Federal Elections Commission back in July of 2018, more than a year ago. According to the CLC, their complaint to the FEC helped trigger a series of revelations showing how the pair leveraged the access their contributions had afforded to deepen their connections with figures close to the president, where they were actually able to alter actual U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine, 
which held up hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to a country at war with Russia. And all it cost the pair was a few hundred thousand laundered dollars that they passed on from a shadowy source in, well, we think but don't know, Russia, to change the course of U.S. foreign policy. Working closely with the president's personal attorney, Giuliani, according to the CLC, their efforts touched two branches of U.S. government, two presidential administrations in Ukraine, at least five countries, numerous individuals in and out of government, and now an impeachment inquiry into the U.S. president himself. The recent federal indictment charges Parnas and Fruman with conspiring to violate campaign finance laws straw donor ban and foreign national contribution ban, and they were charged with two counts of lying to the FEC when responding to the allegations in CLC's complaint. Joining us now to discuss this sordid affair, and frankly, of most interest to me, what we should all learn about the very pernicious effects and serious concerns about the influence of dark money on our political system of the type funneled into Trump's super PAC and seemingly to his lawyer, Giuliani, by Parnas and Fruman, is our old friend Brendan Fisher, associate counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., where he directs CLC's work before federal regulatory agencies like the FEC, advocating vigorous and fair enforcement of campaign finance and ethics laws, ethic laws, how quaint, and holding uh, candidates and political committees accountable for violating those laws, uh, Well, which he certainly seems to have helped accomplish here with CLC's complaint to the FEC concerning these two Giuliani-tied mooks who were busted last week trying to flee the country. Brendan Fisher, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, wow. And congratulations to you and CLC for the role that uh, you guys played in this sordid mess. I've got a lot to ask you, and I hope to have time here to ask you about the White House announcement that the G7 summit meeting uh, to be hosted next year by the U.S. will now take place at Trump's resort in Florida. I suspect you and CLC may have some thoughts on that. But can you give me a quick idea, just in a nutshell, pun intended, perhaps, because I want to spend more time on the underlying matters here, but uh, the the type of influence that Parnas and Fruman were able to buy, what did they actually get, or what were they able to do in exchange for that shadowy money that they paid to the Trump super PAC, and I guess the $500,000 that they paid to Giuliani? Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, pretty astonishing, and we're still learning what level of influence they were able to buy, Mm -hmm. and we also still don't really know where the money came from. Um, But what we do know is that back in early 2018, uh, Parnas and Fruman poured around $675,000 of political contributions into our political system. $325,000 of that amount went to President Trump's super PAC by way of this shell corporation. And the big giving opened a lot of doors. Um, it got them into uh, political fundraisers where mm-hmm. they rubbed shoulders with uh, President Trump's inner circle. That money allowed them to build and deepen a relationship with Giuliani, and they were then able to uh, leverage that relationship in order to advance this narrative about Ukraine, the mm-hmm. same narrative about Ukraine that, that President Trump espoused in his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky, uh, which has now led to uh, this 
impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what they were after, I, I still don't know that we entirely know. Um, I think the two big things that they were pushing, uh, they were pushing for the removal of uh, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, mm-hmm. Marie Yovanovitch, and they were pushing for the investigation into uh, the Biden family. And uh, the, you know, reportedly, uh, this pair was looking to uh, advance their own personal financial interests by uh, getting a, an energy company up and running. And they wanted to re-engineer the uh, restructure and re-engineer the, the board of Ukraine's uh, state gas company mm-hmm. uh, in order to get contracts for importing natural gas from the U.S. to Ukraine. And they thought that the ambassador, uh, Jovanovic, mm-hmm. who was uh, an opponent of corruption, would have stood in their way. And, you know, that very well may be true, but there are a number of other uh, powerful political figures in and around Ukraine and wealthy oligarchs in and around Ukraine who also stood to benefit from the removal of a vocal opponent of corruption in Ukraine. And And there were others who stood to benefit from uh, the restructuring of Ukraine's gas company. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were also political actors who had an axe grind against Yovanovitch, and there were others who uh, just wanted uh, access to, to President Trump's inner circle. So there are a lot of different interests at play here um and you know, part of the reason why it matters uh, whose interests are at play is because we still don't really know where the money came from which um, yeah so, which i want to get to because one of the things that uh nancy pelosi reportedly was saying in that infamous photograph now with uh, her standing up to uh, donald trump at that white house meeting a few days ago was that all roads lead to russia and it does seem as if all of the interests here uh, line up also with Russia's interests. So, uh, and, and you can see, you know, very, you know, specifically how this sort of worked. These guys appear to have given a whole bunch of money to Trump's super PAC. Trump's super PAC then gave a whole bunch of money to um, now former Congressman Pete Sessions, the Texas Republican. And they met with, uh, apparently he met with these guys or both of these guys and then immediately made a call to the White House to encourage them to get rid of that uh, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Is that sort of the timeline of how that worked? Yeah, I think, you know, the Pete Sessions piece of this is Mm -hmm. is probably the the clearest and most obvious example of money buying both access and influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so these two guys, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, uh, both born overseas, but lived in the U.S. for many years, and uh, they're, they live mostly in Florida, uh, Florida and, and Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete Sessions is from Texas. Right. Uh, he's a congressman who represents North Texas, and you know members of Congress do not personally meet uh, with people from outside of their district in their D.C. office uh, unless those people have something to offer. Um, and these two had something to offer, and it was money. Uh, you know, they hadn't given to Pete Sessions before. They did not have an existing relationship, but it was right around the time uh, that Parnas and Fruman were uh, laundering this $325,000 contribution to the Super PAC, America First Action, that Sessions agreed to meet with them. Uh, and on the same day that they met, uh, uh, Sessions sent off this letter to Secretary of State Pompeo urging the firing of Yovanovitch yeah. and citing uh, an account 
that he had received from you know, from these close unnamed companions. Um, you know, and and you know, Ses- Sessions had no apparent background in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had no apparent background in uh, foreign policy. It's not clear that he necessarily knew anything about Yovanovitch, but you know, hear this this congressman from North Texas is meeting with these two two men from Florida, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden inserting himself into this you know pretty sensitive and complex. Uh, foreign policy matter you know, because these donors asked him to with um, with claims that uh, Sessions uh, you know had claims that the uh, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine Yovanovitch was bad mouthing Donald Trump something that Sessions supposedly would would really know nothing about in other words he was seemingly passing on exactly what it was that these two guys told him and he was only meeting with these two guys because they were known to have money and be giving it to uh, Republican uh, uh, campaigns. I mean, you couldn't see a more clear way uh, of how our campaign finance system has become corrupted by this type of money. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's that is an accurate assessment. Um, you know, and the role of the the super PAC here is really interesting because, you know, like I said, the, the two Parnas and Fruman had not previously given to Sessions mm-hmm. at the time of this meeting, but they uh, were at that same time giving the the six figure contribution to the super PAC. Mm-hmm. Um, and the super PAC, uh, the finance chair of the super PAC, is a man named Roy Bailey, who's a Texan. Uh, and Roy Bailey goes way back with Pete Sessions. In the mm. past election cycles, Roy Bailey had been Pete Sessions' finance chair for mm-hmm. his own campaign. Um, Roy Bailey is also a partner at Giuliani LLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bailey, so Bailey goes back with both Giuliani, and he goes back with, with Pete Sessions. Mm. So it, the evidence certainly seems to imply that because... Uh, uh, because Parnas and Fruman laundered this contribution to the Super PAC, it opened doors uh, for this member of Congress. Sure. Of course, Super PAC is supposed to be independent. So There's supposed to be this entirely independent uh, operation, you know, not having uh, you know, any real connection to the candidates that they're supporting. But here you've got these two uh, not giving money to Sessions directly, but instead giving to money to a Super PAC and then getting uh, the doors opened. Um, and that super PAC the, eventually gave millions of dollars to Pete Sessions, right? Yeah, it spent about $3 million, uh, supporting, trying to support his re-election, and he, he did end up losing. And so word uh, gets out that there's, you know, uh, two guys, two big Republican donors who are giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to Trump's PAC. Would you, would you mind meeting with them, Mr. Sessions? Of course, I'd love to meet with them. I mean, that seems... Pretty clear. Do do we know where that five hundred thousand dollars that was given to Giuliani by these guys uh, who is supposedly working for Donald Trump for free for some reason? Do we know where that five hundred k actually came from? Is there any requirement that that money be sourced somehow or reported to U.S. officials in any way? No, no. And well, what's interesting about the the sessions meeting? So after after the two met with sessions, about a month later, uh, they both gave maxed out political contributions to his campaign, mm-hmm. uh, $2,700 each. Uh, according to the indictment, uh, Parnas didn't actually have the money. Um, you know, Parnas, we can get into this more, but he has, you know, he owes money all over the place. He got evicted from his uh, uh, Miami condo just a few years ago. Uh, you know, he, he does not have significant access to money. Uh, so in order to, to cover that contribution, he had to get the money from Fruman. Uh, which is itself a violation of the law. Hmm. Uh, 
you know, but it was right around this, right around this time that Parnas's business, Fraud Guarantee, uh, was paying <laughs> Giuliani $500,000. Now, just to uh, underscore that, the name of his company is Fraud Guarantee. Fraud Guarantee. Yes, okay. Guaranteed Fraud. Okay. Press <laughs> um, on. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, right, so, you know, Parnas owes money all over the place. He has this, um, uh, he has a trail of failed business ventures, no apparent access to, to money, didn't even have the $2,800 to give to Pete Sessions, uh, but somehow, miraculously, he has $500,000 laying around uh, to pay Rudy Giuliani. Um, mm. I think there's plenty of reason to suspect that the money that was paid to Giuliani came from some other source. It did not come from Parnas, uh, and it did not come from Parnas's fraud guarantee, which, by the way, uh, appears to have been dissolved years earlier uh, by the state of Florida uh, because Parnas was not paying taxes. <laughs> so, hence the name fraud guarantee. So, with with Giuliani, then this five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, if this is being paid to him uh, by whoever private individuals, he's allowed to take this money. He doesn't have to necessarily report it anywhere. C- correct, uh, unless he actually is using that money to somehow lobby the U.S. government, in which case he would have to file as a foreign agent under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, FARA. Otherwise, there, there's no reason to report that funding at all publicly. A- am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. There are uh, a lot of problems with the role that Giuliani is playing. Um, so he he claims to be the president's personal attorney, but he also uh, is engaged in this uh, sort of shadow diplomacy role. Mm-hmm. He's engaging in foreign policy, uh, uh, influencing foreign leaders, acting with the apparent support of at least some sectors of the State Department. And he's also influencing U.S. policy. He's talking to Trump. He's talking, and Trump is t- is telling uh, top administration officials to talk to Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has this really important and uh, quasi-official role. And what? And uh, but he does not have any of the ethical obligations that would typically attach to a federal employee. Mm-hmm. And most significantly, uh, financial disclosure reports. You know, every high-ranking federal employee has to file a financial disclosure report stating uh, their sources of income over the past the past few years, uh, any debts they owe to anybody else, and they're also uh, subject to recusal obligations, conflict of interest rules. Uh, they can't engage in uh, official activities that might profit, might, might benefit them personally, or benefit people close to them. Uh, Giuliani, because he's not officially a federal employee, is not subject to to any of those rules. Um, and then relatedly, there's FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even even setting aside these, these sort of unique questions about whether Giuliani is acting in an official capacity or with the support of the U.S. government, uh, any person who is acting to influence U.S. policy or influence the U.S. population with respect to uh, U.S. policy uh, on behalf and is doing so on behalf of a foreign government or foreign client 
is supposed to be registered under FARA, and they're supposed to disclose all of their activities, and they're supposed to, they're supposed to disclose how much they're being paid mm-hmm. uh, and where that money is coming from. Which, Giuliani has not done that. And that uh, is, of course, what got Paul Manafort, among other things, what got Paul Manafort into trouble, what got Michael Flynn into trouble. In both of those cases, uh, those guys were indicted for es- essentially violating FARA, not reporting this money that they were getting from these uh, foreign entities. Uh, and then lobbying in some fashion on on their behalf. So Parnas and Fruman, they funneled money through a shell corporation. We don't know if it was, do, do we know if it was foreign money, even if we don't know where it came from? The for GEP? Um, it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> it was a, the money used for the political contribution or the money used for the, the super PAC contribution came from a, uh, a mortgage on a condo owned by Fruman. Um, but the the source for that mortgage was um, private individuals, and that is a pretty odd way of, of financing a mortgage. Mm. Uh, so I think there are still a number of unanswered questions about the original source of that mortgage, uh, which was in the amount of $3 million. Mm-hmm. And then there are also additional questions about how Fruman was able to repay that mortgage just a year later. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just a year after that private mortgage was, was given, uh, in the amount of $3 million, uh, Fruman was able to repay it in full, uh, and we don't know where the money came from Came from for that either. So even if we were able to figure out what the sources are for that money, foreign or otherwise, it came through a shell corporation. It went to Trump's campaign super PAC, the ironically named America First Action PAC. Uh, and in fact, aside from questions about the sources and whether these two guys lied about it to the FEC, in fact, they are allowed to give this kind of money. They're allowed to give as much money as they want, as I understand it, to super PACs under current campaign finance law, thanks in no small part to Citizens United. Are they not? In other words, giving that money itself is perfectly legal under our current campaign system. Yeah, yeah, there are a number of ways that they could have, uh, you know, structured these transactions and found themselves uh, with the same access and influence and to have done so entirely legally. Mm-hmm. Um, the six-figure contribution uh, was legal as long as it was uh, derived from U.S. sources and uh, appropriately attributed uh, to the to the to the name of the giver, um, and. Uh, you know, in, in many other ways, I mean, I think the, the indictment makes clear that the purpose of the political contributions that Parnas and Fruman made was to buy access and to uh, build influence with powerful political officials mm-hmm. in order to advance their own personal financial interests. But that's not and that's not what that they're being indicted. That's they're not. That in, not yeah, go ahead. Yes, but <laughs> that is not what they are being indicted for. Right, exactly. The indictment describes the purpose in making these contributions, but yeah. it's not. But the purpose is not what they're indicted for. <laughs> right. Uh, they're indicted because they uh, laundered the funds through shell corporations and then lied about it. Right. Had this but been it, their money, had they been really rich guys and put this money in and then done all of the things that they did, that apparently under our system would have been perfectly legal. <laughs> yes, it would have just been a 
a beautiful expression of their uh, First Amendment right to free speech. So isn't this the actual nightmare scenario and exactly why dark money is such a concern? I mean, this was two guys who were eventually caught. Actually, there were uh, two others who were also arrested as part of this uh, scheme. Uh, and the investigation by the SDNY uh, is is ongoing, potentially into Giuliani himself, who, who used to lead the SDNY as the U.S. attorney there. But this was a relatively small amount of money invested by these two clowns, uh, and they got a whole lot in return for it. They got caught because it wasn't their money, but had it not been their money, I mean, would you say that this uh, uh, Brendan Fisher could well be the tip of the iceberg that is much bigger regarding similar schemes to buy influence by others, not just with Trump, but all of the Republicans, not just the Republicans, but potentially by Democrats as well. Uh, These schemes that we don't even yet know about where, you know, people are putting in their own money to buy this type of influence that actually affects U.S. foreign policy, for crying out loud? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a lot There's a lot there. So, I mean, on, on the one hand, uh, you know, this indictment of Parnison Fruman is you know, really an indictment of our big money political system. Um, it lays out very clearly uh, how uh, you know, powerful political figures operate on this, uh, you know, cash for access practice. Mm-hmm. And it's become entirely commonplace for uh, uh, for you know, wealthy political actors to buy their way into congressional offices and into the, the president's inner circle. Um, you know, and if you don't have money, your voice does not get heard in our democracy. Uh, and that part's legal, uh, yeah. as, you, as you described. I mean, that part, that part does not violate the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, in the wake of Citizens United, you know, after Citizens United made it legal for all corporations, for-profit or non-profit, um, uh, LLC or uh, or otherwise mm-hmm. to make contributions in in uh, political election in in our to make to make political contributions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become much easier to make contributions without disclosure. Um, and global you... energy producers is one example of that. Mm-hmm. But there are there's been over a billion dollars uh, in dark money political spending in the last few election cycles, and, and... we don't know how much of that dark money might disclose foreign funds, but we certainly know uh, that foreign actors and wealthy foreign special interests uh, do want influence in our U.S. political system, and and dark money provides an attractive avenue for them to do so. And uh, not just attractive, but effective. Clearly, it works. Brendan, wouldn't one uh, fantastic campaign finance reform uh, be that you can only, you know, given uh, you know the money that they were uh, that they ended up giving to Pete Sessions in Texas, they live in Florida. I, I've always thought that a, a, a fantastic campaign finance reform would be that you can only give campaign funds to a candidate who you can actually vote for. These guys were from Florida, I, I think, so so they can't even vote for Sessions. Uh, And also such a law would also serve to keep corporations from giving money to any campaigns because corporations, they can't vote for anybody. They're corporations. Is there a constitutional problem with that as you see it, Brendan? Uh, I mean, I think with this court, it would be uh, it would be a challenge. Um, It would be a challenge to uh, to be upheld by this court. But there's certainly there's certainly a logic to it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. But, you know, it's not it's not. It's not uncomplicated, uh, to say the least. I mean, if you you know if you live in Texas mm-hmm. and you want to support 
a, uh, uh, a progressive senator, the only way you can do it is by giving to a, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a senator who lives outside of your state, um, and vice versa. If you live in a progressive state and you want to support a conservative, conservative member or conservative senator, then you've got to do it uh, by, by giving to someone who does not directly represent you. Um, you know, and I think there's plenty of people who would, who would want that, that ability. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's no silver bullet, um, to these problems. You know, wealthy interests, both domestic and foreign, are gonna, uh, want to, uh, buy influence and, uh, you know, it requires constant vigilance on, on all of our parts to, um, you know, to, to limit the, the potential, uh, undue and improper influence buying. Yeah, and I don't even know how it is that you guys uh, were able to find this and identify this a, a year ago. Uh, I'd hope to get into that, but there's two quick points I want to get to. I'm not going to have time for it because I want to get y- your uh, thoughts on two things here. When I heard about this particular, these arrests, uh, and you and I discussed it a little bit uh, via Twitter a week or so ago, uh, there was a, a bit of a conspiracy uh, theory angle that immediately occurred to me when I heard that they were arrested. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. This is Trump's own prosecutor at the DOJ, uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, who brought these charges against these two guys who had paid off Trump's super PAC and helped with this scheme to strong arm Ukraine into doing his dirty work and, and so forth and to take down Biden before the 2020 campaign. All right in the middle of an impeachment inquiry on the same matter, they get arrested. Parnas and Fruman, before their arrest, they had been notified by the impeachment investigators in Congress that they were uh, seeking uh, both documents and testimony from these two men. And then they were arrested. So in wondering why Trump's own U.S. attorney you know, the Trump DOJ has not actually, you know, been very helpful in any of this. But Trump's own U.S. attorney arrests Trump's own funders and, and apparatchiks here. It occurs to me, well, this could keep them from being able to testify to Congress about their involvement in these schemes and from spilling what they know about Trump and Giuliani and the whole mess. Is that uh, too much of a far-fetched conspiracy theory to think, well, they were arrested to keep them from talking to Congress? Yeah, well, I mean, this, this investigation uh, has been run out of the, uh, the Southern District of New York, um, which is the, uh, uh, the same office that you know, prosecuted Michael Cohen, for mm-hmm. example, um, mm-hmm. and has been, uh, in many ways, a thorn in the side of this, uh, of this administration. And and the investigation has been going on since since well before uh, anybody knew about uh, Ukraine or Ukraine or their role in uh, working with Giuliani to push this Ukraine narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know as, as you mentioned at the at the beginning, we filed this complaint back in July of 2018. Uh, it's been reported that when Bill Barr took office, mm-hmm. uh, he was briefed in February of this year, February 2019, that this investigation was was happening. Uh, you know, so this is not new, it's, and it's been something that's been that the SDNY has been working on for for quite some time. Uh, you know, well before anybody would have had any idea uh, that this Ukrainian stuff stuff could have led to impeachment. Right, the investigations um, were ongoing, but the arrests didn't have. I mean, you, you can keep an investigation going on forever and then just drop it. The arrests didn't happen until just days before they were supposed to testify to Congress. Yeah, yeah, well, but I think the other part is that they were arrested at Dulles Airport with one-way tickets to Vienna. Right. Um, so I think the I, I would not be at all surprised if the theory there is that 
uh, these two, if these two left, they were not coming back. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, You're right. Uh, yeah, so I think that strikes me as the, uh, as the most likely scenario. Um, you know, mm. and, and, the, and the prospect of criminal, criminal charges could lead these two to, um, uh, to be a little bit more forthcoming about um, you know, what it is that they know, where the money might come from, mm. uh, and how, uh, uh, what role Giuliani may have played in all of this. True, although it does keep them from, uh, you know, they will have every right now to, to claim a Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate themselves in speaking yes. to Congress, because, hey, they're, they're facing a criminal indictment right now, so they have every reason to not cooperate at all with Congress, it seems to me. But uh, so we're going to get more on that, I'm sure. Let me get one uh, last thought from you here, uh, Brenton. I'm sure you've got some uh, you and, and Campaign Legal Center have some thoughts on this announcement late on Thursday from Mick Mulvaney that, in fact, the the G7 summit that is uh, being hosted by the U.S. next year will now, in fact, be held at the Trump National Doral Resort, Trump's own resort. I'll just uh, hand that to you. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's um, it's astonishing. Uh, I, I mean, you can't really find a clear example of the uh, conflicts of interest that arise from President Trump failing to divest from his uh, family business when he took office. I mean, this is gonna this you know this is the president awarding a massive contract to himself. Uh, it means that both U.S. taxpayer money and foreign government funds are going to flow directly into the Trump family bank accounts. Um, and, we, and we already know that foreign leaders uh, are, are routinely spending money at Trump properties in order to curry favor with the president. That was something that the Ukrainian president mentioned on his mm-hmm. now infamous phone call with uh, with President Trump. But now, uh, as a result of the G7 being located at Trump's own property, um, I think this is the first time that Trump is going to effectively force uh, foreign governments to spend money at his properties and put money into his pocket. In direct, um, in direct violation of the Constitution's emoluments clause, which strictly uh, prohibits uh, foreign leaders from giving money to uh, to a president. And he can't Trump can't claim he he I, I guess he. There, there was some sort of at the beginning of his presidency, some sort of trust set up where he is uh, hands over the the business to his sons, but he still profits from them, right? He can't say, "Oh, I gave that all away to my family. I I make no profit." Can he? No, the president the president is still profiting from the Trump organization uh, and and his family, and his family is still running it and apparently giving occasional updates on the uh, uh, on the successes and failures of the business. <laughs> Okay, just amazing. Uh, More to come, no doubt. Brendan Fisher, uh, Associate Counsel at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C. Congratulations once again on uh, on being early to this uh, Fruman, Parnas and Fruman story. Uh, And as it unfolds, uh, I suspect we'll be calling you back to explain more of this because it is amazing and not just on its own, but what it says about our entire system of campaign funding in this country. You can find Brendan Fisher uh, at campaignlegal.org and on the Twitters at Brendan underscore Fisher. Thank you, my friend. Always great talking to you. All right. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we're back with our closing few minutes. 
maybe a little bit more on this Doral thing. We'll see what we have time for. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Getting there. Seems like it. Close. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, we started the show with a clip from Fox News. Yep. John Yu, the torture memo author under the George W. Bush administration, his appearance on the Laura Ingram show, defending the president, somehow saying that you can't impeach a president when it's so close to an election. <laughs> Just making stuff up out of whole cloth. Which he does That's very well. what he gets paid for. Yeah. So, um, all right. But not everything is going well for Donald Trump over at Fox News. Uh, on this, this point of Donald Trump using his own Doral resort down in Florida for the G7 summit next year. Well, Neil Cavuto and uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano do not think that is allowable, as they discussed Thursday night on Fox News. They are arguing that this is not a violation of the Monuments Clause where someone is profiting off of something. I believe Judge Andrew Napolitano has a different notion of that. What do you think? Well, uh, Neil, it's not my notion, it's the Constitution's notion. It addresses any present, as in a gift, any emolument, as in cash, of any kind, whatever, I'm quoting the Emoluments Clause, from any king, prince, or foreign state. The purpose of the Emoluments Clause is to keep the President of the United States of America from profiting off of foreign money. Here we go again. Not in the campaign, but in some event or entity that he controls or is running. This is about as direct and profound a violation of the Emoluments Clause as one could create. Oops, that's going to send Napolitano and Cavuto off to Shepherd Smith land, I suspect. At least it might. I mean, I, we shall see. We shall see. They don't care for it, and we got about a year to talk about it. So uh, we'll see what defense Fox News comes up with, other than firing those two guys. That's it. We got to get out of here. My thanks to Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center, to my producer Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it, share it with your friends for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep Desi and I on your public airwaves without political influence, without corporate influence, without anyone's influence other than what she and I think. Mostly what she thinks. <laughs> uh, you can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and that is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.